Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Our reading today is the typical Christmas Eve, Christmas Day reading. I hope that you can come at it with fresh ears and new perspective. Maybe the Lord has a word for you in this reading that you may have missed in years past. Maybe the life circumstances that you are experiencing right now with the difficulty of COVID-19 and being separated from the people that you love and and uh, being in that space of, may, of, of loneliness or isolation, of uncertainty, of doubt, whatever it is that you're experiencing right now, my prayer is that when I read this passage out of Luke, that the Lord meets you in that place and speaks a word of truth over your heart once again. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. And you can turn in your Bibles to read alongside me. It is always so good to hear the word and read the word at the same time. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who he was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they all spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. May the Lord add a blessing to this reading. Thanks be to God. I'm recording this 
fairly early on Christmas Eve morning in my back room and I've lit our Advent candles for us to be in a place of worship with peace, with hope, with joy and love surrounding all of us. The sun is rising and it's casting shadows all over my face. And I pray that that is not a distraction to you as I prepared these words from the Lord for us today. There's so much to learn and discover in this story that I just read. Even after reading it every Christmas Eve and Christmas Day my entire life, I'm tempted to skip past it to, uh, especially on Christmas morning, to start opening presents right away. Savoring this story and allowing time to pass alongside it isn't something that we do as humans. We tend to rush through the words. We slide past the details because we already know them, right? We know Mary was an impoverished teenage girl who probably felt ill-equipped to raise a future king and godchild. Maybe she wondered as she was like carrying Jesus within her if when Jesus was born, would he come out like looking like Apollo or some other Greek god? Maybe that caused a little anxiety with giving birth. I wonder if Joseph worried if he could love the son that he was committed to but wasn't biologically related to. I wonder if Mary and Joseph perhaps felt some bitterness rise up in them as they traveled those 90 miles during the last month of her pregnancy away from Mary's mother and away from the trusted midwives to find Joseph's people and family couldn't make appropriate space for them to stay. I wonder if maybe Bethlehem had more Roman soldiers that were policing the city and making sure the with watchful eyes to stop any mischief from happening. I wonder if the smells of this crowded town made Mary's stomach turn while her back ached from a long journey desperate to find some rest. I wonder if the shepherds thought the angels had to have the wrong people, given that shepherds weren't the most respected in their society. They were the dirty and the homeless and the young men whose daily job kind of kept them away from other humans. And I wonder if they were terrified, wondering if like, is this my last breath that I get to take? Because each each shepherd like mentally tallied up every sin that they committed that week, all the mistakes they had done wrong that week. I wonder a lot in this story because that's what happens when we savor the words, when we set a simple pace and slowly imagine ourselves alongside those words. These were real people from a real time that incredibly still impacts us in real ways today. The thing is, is that the people in this story were were ordinary people doing ordinary things in the midst of great difficulty. You know, if we think about who they'd be today, they'd be the restaurant workers or the restaurant owners. They would be the Uber drivers or nurses or teachers or baristas. They would be ordinary people doing ordinary things in the midst of great difficulty. And I know that a lot of you feel very ordinary today. And you know that you're doing these ordinary things, but there is such this impossible difficulty that surrounds you. And I think that you get to find yourself in this story. There were no guarantees of tomorrow for them as there are none for us. And I know that like 
they were they were living in a land that was occupied by a foreign superpower and life was really hard for so many of them. Some of their family members and friends had faced execution, had faced imprisonment, food was scarce, taxes were high. There were still they were still human beings even in the midst of this great difficulty. They were still human beings that were that had real hopes, that were desperate for peace, that were able to find moments of joy, that desired love. They were ordinary people who wanted to fall in love, who wanted to have a good job, who wanted to provide for their families and play with their kids and worship their God. They wanted to be able to do their laundry and go on walks and garden and harvest and make meals and sing songs just like the rest of us. The people in this story were ordinary people doing ordinary things in the midst of difficulty, violence, poverty, and suffering. So what made them special that God would choose ordinary people to do something extraordinary? Did Mary pray all day long? (laughs) Did Joseph fast his meals and go on long silent retreats? Did the shepherds stare up at the night sky, desperate for an encounter with God, having these deep theological conversations while the stars twinkled above them? Uh, Maybe. Probably not. I know that they believed in God. They trusted God. They revered God. I'm sure they listened to God's word read out loud. I'm sure they sang the Psalms to each other and in their quiet spaces. I'm sure they danced for joy when God provided radically for them. But were they perfect? No. Were they powerful or influential? Absolutely not. They were ordinary people who got caught up into something extraordinary and they couldn't contain it. Now, the church and religious people have long distilled this story and all stories of Jesus Christ into a formula to follow. Like, just say this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart, and then you'll go to heaven when you die. A plus B equals C, right? It's something that we can speak out quickly and hand to you and feel good about ourselves. But friends, Jesus isn't a formula to follow. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and Jesus invites you into a way of being, not a way of memorizing. Jesus invited you to receive the greatest love, this abundant love, love that makes you whole by simply saying yes to that love. Yes to Jesus. Yes to God with us. And this is not only a heavenly hope. Jesus is your friend today, your hope today, your peace and joy and love today. There is no formula to follow and Jesus isn't an equation to master. When the angels declared good news of great joy for all the people, it was because God was inviting people into an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ marked by loving other people that you like to love and loving other people that are really hard to love as well. But the one thing I love about this story that we read is that there's no formula in how someone should respond. There's no right way or wrong way to encounter God's presence. 
And I think that that is where we get messed up sometimes as Christian people. I know for myself, I'll look at somebody who seems to have their life together, who seems to really have that connection with God that is so precious and tender and real and they, they raise their hands and they are speaking in tongues and they're worshiping so, so wholeheartedly. And I think, is something wrong with me that I don't worship in that way all of the time? Am I responding to God incorrectly in some way or another? And I look at the people in these stories and the encounters they had with each other and with God, and I, and I wonder, is that the way I'm supposed to respond? I see the angels, they're singing loudly, they're lighting up the night sky with shouts of praise, announcing the good news that God had slid into the vulnerability of skin as an infant still slippery with amniotic fluid and God had drawn near and so they shout and sing and chant glory to God in the highest. Well, they're angelic beings. So is that how we're meant to respond to God? like the angels. And then we see the shepherds meeting Mary and Joseph and the infant, and they're filled with such ridiculous joy that they can't contain it. And you and you imagine them running through the streets and, and skipping through Bethlehem, and they're whooping and hollering, and they're waking the dead with their ruckus, and they're responding to God by sharing their experience with anybody who would listen. They cannot contain it. Is that how we're meant to respond to God? like the shepherds. And then we see Mary in the story, sore from every pressure-filled contraction, aching from giving birth, exhausted from pushing, sleepy and satisfied and so proud of her body, of what her body was able to do. I can't even imagine what it was like just giving birth to have half a dozen teenage boys, dirty teenagers invade her space and their noise was intense and they could easily wake up Jesus and they're loudly whispering, can I see him, can I see him? I can just imagine the chaos that that brought. But the text doesn't show Mary being irritated or frustrated with their ruckus. It says that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She savored every moment, absolutely present to the wonder of it all. And I don't think her pondering and savoring and treasuring was, was some sort of passive and chaste example of female quiet submissiveness, as I have long believed was the case. I think she was fully present to the absolute divinity and sacredness of that moment. She responded to God how she could. So is that how we're meant to respond to God? Like Mary? And then we see Joseph. What about Joseph? I mean, he doesn't seem like he takes up much space in the story, but I don't think that he's some sort of footnote that we're meant to ignore because he's not mentioned much. I wonder about Joseph's response. How many people love God and treasure their relationship with God and and have a deeply abiding relationship with God, but it's so internal and it's not really out there in the world. You don't see it. I see that with Joseph. I hope he didn't compare himself to the, to the shepherds and wonder if he should have responded the, the way they did. 
But the way that I see Joseph responding to God is through his continued loyalty. I mean, I don't see him bringing attention to himself by singing loudly or clapping or dancing. He's kind of off to the sidelines. I see him with his loyalty. I see him bringing a steady groundedness into the room. His faithfulness and devotion to God was how he responded. The Christmas story, friends, it beckons us to answer, how will we respond? How will we respond? But friends, this is the wrong question because it's not about how we will respond towards God. It's about how God has responded to us. God knew there was nothing we could do to make our way to God, so God made God's way to us. There is a fundamental need in human beings to seek after God. And you felt that your whole life. You are constantly seeking after something. But that fundamental need is God himself. And God has made a way. God came near to us. God has made that seeking simplified in Christ. Everything in the story is one where God came near to us in the most vulnerable way. God could have arrived in a palace with wealthy and royal parents with the most powerful people backing him. God could have began from a place of influence, but instead God showed up to the hard places and difficult situations and impossible circumstances because God wants to be with you in those things too. God first responded to you and your need, inviting you to receive this ultimate, beautiful, abiding love because you are so loved. It is who you are. It is who you are first and foremost. God responded to you in your need to show how loved you are and then invites you to then respond to God's love. And friends, there is no perfect or right way to respond. It is simply an invitation. I want you to sit with that just for the next few seconds. How is God inviting you to respond only because God first responded to you? Take a moment here. Hmm. The most beautiful part about Christmas is that God has come near in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your impossible situations, in the midst of your grief and loneliness and despair, in the midst of your wondering when, when the money will come and if you can make your bills and how your child will survive this. God is near to you, close to the brokenhearted. I think God slipped into the vulnerability of skin, not to be far above us, but to be with us in the valleys of the shadow of death, to know what it's like to be human, because God is absolutely in love with you. And because of that, we get to light this Christ candle once again today. 
Let us light this candle to be reminded that Christ has come and Christ will come again. O come, let us adore him.